0: Hey guys and girls, just a quick one before today's episode. It is not long until the gyms reopen for us in Bonnie Scotland. So ensure that you head over to the website, download your free Bikini Girl program or your Push-Pull Leg Split and start giving it the absolute beans when the gyms do open. Thanks guys, enjoy today's podcast. Hey guys and welcome to today's episode of Give It The Beans. It was my absolute pleasure and privilege to bring to you the top coach at the game for improving your relationship with food is the one the only doctor, Amelia Thompson. How are we doing?
1: I am good. That was an excellent introduction. Thank you very much. Oh, not a,
0: getting... not a problem. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. You've actually been requested by a number of my clients um, and a lot of what we'll speak about today is certainly applicable to them. But first off, I know that there's some listeners that are new to this game and then we perhaps don't know too much about you. So what I'd like you to do is give us a rundown make it don't make it brief give us a rundown of yourself your career your education and um, your, your sort of uh, within bodybuilding itself but also within your business and what you do today
1: sure okay so I work predominantly as a nutrition consultant online with people like you said in terms of supporting their relationship with food in some way that's predominantly what I do at the same time as I run an online nutrition course which is very much Evidence based holistic nutrition, so looking at nutrition as a whole, which incorporates not just evidence based nutrition guidelines, but also mindset, mindfulness, etc., and how they all come together to support overall health. Um, my background is very much academic, so I've done an undergrad, master's, and PhD in the area of sports biomedicine, sports science, nutrition physiology so that's kind of my background and then I taught in sport nutrition and exercise nutrition for about four years so I do a lot of education stuff and at the same time when I was doing my PhD I started competing in bodybuilding and I competed for four years I finished in 2018 so two years ago became second at PCA British finals competed for Team GB and then I quit because I was 31 and I didn't see myself getting any further than second in britain so i stopped so i've done it myself um and now i work with some competitors i work a lot with competitors after they finish competing to help support them get back on the roads to health again and i think that's it i think that's all i've got
0: that was a wicked introduction to to who you are and what you do and i think that you you certainly are a very humble um person and you know in regards to actually helping people's to help improve people's behavior with uh, a relationship with food is something that you do very very well. Um, and I'm sure that anyone listening or who knows you would back me up on that. Really interesting that you said that you went to you need to do sports by medicine. That was my undergrad as well. And you're the first person in the industry I've met that done done the same. I just did it at Dundee University and when I finished when I finished it they literally they don't do the course anymore. And so, yeah.
1: Uh, just that. I'm- yeah, you must have only been a few years after me then because they they ran the course, they finished the course a couple of years after I graduated, but same course. Were you Dundee? I was Dundee. Oh
0: yes. Small world, I absolutely love it. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'll get back to I'll get back to today's episode, <laughs> otherwise we'll be here for a very long time. So competing itself, you you've been there, you've done it, got the t shirt, threw it away. It's something that, apart from maybe perhaps this year, is becoming very popular year in, year out. And I think that what what you were probably seeing competitors are they're trying to get leaner right conditions trying to get better and i think what it's potentially causing is a lot of disordered eating post post show and it seems to be like an increasing trend so i think there's a lot, a lot of people listening that they're not really sure what disordered eating and an eating disorder actually is i think they think it's the same thing but i think that you'll know better than anyone that it's not and what i'd like you to do is if possible. Is can you give us a rough idea perhaps the difference between the two some things that you'll see post show or post diet phase that are common within the sort of athletes
1: yeah so i kind of like to describe it as a bit of a spectrum in terms of you have this kind of optimal healthy supportive relationship with food on one end and then you have clinical eating disorders on the other end and then you've got the spectrum in between where people tend to fall and clinical eating disorders are you know beyond my scope of practice in terms of I wouldn't work with any clinical eating disorder they are the ones that you'll likely have heard of in terms of anorexia bulimia binge eating disorder is an eating disorder um, and there are a couple of others that you know are you may not have heard of slightly are still in that classification and what we know is that with dieting regardless of whether we put competing into the mix or not we know that with extreme dieting you increase your risk of disorder eating habits and so what can happen is you may start on one end of the scale with this really healthy relationship with food but as you prolong your diet you, you start to slip down the scale now, this doesn't happen for everyone but it, it, it happens a lot and the research does highlight you know the longer you've been dieting and the, the more times you repeatedly diet the more likely you are to fall down on this scale and develop some sorts of disordered eating and in terms of a there's not a specific disorder eating definition but really what you're looking at is some sort of eating behavior that impacts your life in some way so and negatively impacts your life in some way so you know for some people they might class um dieting as disordered eating because actually when you're for example when you're prepping you may not go out for dinner with your friends you may cancel social occasions because you don't want to eat off plan that type of situation would be classed by some as disordered eating and then you've got kind of the more extreme ends of this and this tends to happen more portion for some people is that they develop mindless eating episodes overeating episodes potentially they'll they'll call it binge eating and and that's obviously closer to the end of a clinical eating disorder so um, most people will fall somewhere in the spectrum and often with competitors especially some of them going to competing to try and minimize their disordered eating habits which is that that's the worst situation that you see and some people develop these throughout competing and it's and competing is obviously a, a sport that's very aesthetics based, and you do get leaner than you do normally if you're just dieting so in that sense they, they do come with a greater risk than just dieting per se but dieting as a standalone does have these outcomes as well so it's not the sport particularly although there are some aspects of the sport that do exacerbate it
0: yeah 100 percent. but i think it's really important for first-time competitors to be really aware of you know that this is a potential risk that could happen if they decide to go into let's not say it doesn't need to be a bodybuilding show just a, an extreme diet in general now What would your advice be to those competitors that perhaps they already have a little bit of anxiety or worry about developing this trait without really knowing too much about it? Would you say that, right, well, assess your relationship with food first or wherever you're at or don't go into a diet phase without it? What what would your take on that be? Yeah, good
1: question. I think if you you actually exhibit any of these um, issues at the moment before you even start a diet, my advice is not to do it, is completely not to do it. Often what happens is people use meal plans and diets as a way to mask their disordered eating and they think that that cures it because they've got a plan to follow and it stops them from maybe eating off plan or what they class as overeating and and all it does is mask it and what's going to happen when you compete or you end your diet, that's going to be 10 times worse. So if you have any of those symptoms or experiences, then at this point, it's not very work, but at this point, don't go into your diet. If you have a really good relationship with food and you're just anxious about it, then you know just be mindful of it. Speak to if you have a coach, speak to your coach about it, and have that really open communication. And just be mindful that that can happen. And what's really I think important is that if you value your health above aesthetics, um, and that's great if you do. Great, you know, great if you don't. If you're a competitor, you you can't that da- don't diet because it's not in line with your values. If you if your relationship with food is more important to you dieting or getting that body composition then don't diet because you are at risk of you know damaging your health in some way and i talk about health in a very multifaceted way in the sense of i'm not just talking about nutrients i'm talking about overall holistic health you know all the markers of health
0: yeah and you're, you're probably the first person i've spoke to that's mentioned the word values in regards to relationship with eating and that's something i've never i've fully fully like believe in the value system and whatnot personal development but i've never met someone that said that before so if anyone out there's listening that should be a drop of the you know a drop of the hammer of that like what what you preach is something that i am fully on board with i think it's brilliant but to, to pick your brain there about something that you said there's someone listening out there that's went oh shit i'm on a meal plan does that mean that all meal plans are bad and what you I do if, I, if i'm on this meal plan and i'm doing okay but all I can think about is food and we see that a lot I've worked with many bikini bikini girls or just females in general and um, that they, they re, they're they like oh my god I really want a meal plan but then all they think about across all day is food so talk us through what are you, what's your opinions about meal plans and then in that scenario if you're on one and all you're thinking about is all these other foods what, what would you do what would your advice be to those girls
1: yeah um so that that does happen and i speak from experience as well as you know from research in the sense of when i did my first competition prep and nobody spoke about anything to do with this side of things and i had a coach for my very first show and i remember trolling through food porn on instagram like i completely relate um and it does happen and if you look at like the traditional research we know like in men and women your preoccupation with food does get um, heightened as you diet. So, regardless of a meal plan or not, that happens. But with meal plan, what we class meal plans as are is um, kind of rigid dietary restraint. And you can have rigid dietary restraint, or you can have flexible dietary restraint. And flexible, you know, removes food rules. It allows for you know maybe eating more in the morning and less at night, or switching up it's like as the name suggests, flexible. Whereas rigid dietary restraint it has specific food rules. It includes things like meal plans. And if we look at it in terms of like a nutrition fundamentals point of view, the chances are you're lacking some micronutrients because you're eating the same things all the time. Even if you're eating broccoli, you know, the healthiest quote unquote food you can imagine, you're probably still missing some key micronutrients because your variety is low, your gut health, your gut. Prefers again, quote unquote, um, variety. And so if you're not getting variety, your gut health suffers. And this is when you get people, you'll have seen this probably a lot um, in the kind of old school bro type bodybuilding who they'll have cheat meals and they get really bloated and they think they've got IBS and then they finish competing and they think they've got IBS and it's because they've literally restricted their food intake to such a small amount of food that they, their gut is adapted to that. So in terms of health it's not great at all but then actually if you look at the te- in terms of relationship with food this kind of rigid approach is associated with an increased risk of disordered eating and binge eating and food preoccupation as opposed to a flexible re- approach so if you are obsessed with food and you're on a meal plan you, being on a meal plan is exacerbating that it's not helpful at all yeah. it's associated as well with um more of a negative body image so you know we know as competitors we get very obsessed with our bodies and actually often it doesn't matter how lean we are our body image suffers by the end of the diet regardless and I know like I was 10 kilos lighter and I felt 10 kilos heavier when I was stage lean than I do now yeah. and it's you know that happens anyway but again if you're following this rigid you straight your body image suffers more um so the meal plans are not helpful and even with, I coach a couple of competitors not many but even with them. I won't put them on a meal plan unless I very very have to at the very very end Um, and it's not for long at all and it's it's just it's not helpful and it's not necessary both in terms of health and relationships with food so if you do find yourself being that person who's trawling food porn does happen when you get hungry unfortunately um but be more flexible in your approach and I don't mean having pop traps every day that's not what I mean I just mean have some variety you know I eat chocolate every day up until you know on show day I would eat chocolate I kind of did it to make a point to be honest but still <laughs> you can't do that
0: yeah 100% I think that's amazing because what I've tended to see not every time but a lot of the time is that when competitors will be on a strict meal plan that post show when they're like you know they're not wanting to gain a lot of fat quickly um and they've they've been so strict for let's say 16, 18 weeks. The minute that, that show's finished, that meal plan, whew, right out the window. And they ain't fucking sticking to that. They are having this, that, and the next thing. And rather it be, okay, right. Instead of you know having some chicken white potato, I'm going to have you know some fish and some you know whatever source of carb. It ends up being oh well I had a chocolate bar so I fucked the whole day up. Fuck it. It's it's a binge day. Let's just go for it. Is that something that you see quite quite common?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So again, there's a couple of things that the best thing you can do post show if anyone is in that situation, FYI for them is and rather than trying to get all these foods into your diet, is to increase the volume of your prep foods first, at least for the first month, just try and increase the volume of your prep foods because what that does is it allows you to improve your satiety, reduce your hunger and reduces the chances of that happening so that's kind of a kind of side practical thing but yet that kind of idea of you have one chocolate bar and then you have 10 chocolate bars is related to this kind of dichotomous thinking which again is dichotomous thinking when it comes to nutrition is very much thinking about foods as black and white so good food bad food cheap foods whatever you want to call them it's really detrimental to your relationship with food and if you completely say for example exclude chocolate in this situation you then start to think chocolate is bad chocolate is bad i can't have chocolate yeah, and yeah. as soon as you have it you just think i am a bad person i've had chocolate you feel a lot of shame around it and you can't just allow it and move on you just think i just need to get it all in my system now i'm going to have all of it get it all done and i'll start fresh tomorrow and it's that is the start of a very negative cycle and it's very hard to break out of whereas if you just give yourself permission and say i'm I'm starving and i really want chocolate i'm going to have a boost bar because they are the best and then i'm going to move on from it then that's a much healthier approach and it's tough it's really tough especially if you've been dieting for a long time to just allow yourself that but if you continue to allow yourself at least a bit of these foods as you diet the chances of that happening are are massively reduced
0: yeah and i think where i my personal opinion i think it stems from (laughs) There's a lot of people that like to think, yeah, you know, I'm grinding, I'm hustling, I'm I'm not eating that, and you know, we're bringing it, bro, and it ends up being the, you know, two weeks, three weeks post show, there's a big Instagram post about, oh, you know, I, I binged and I went for this and went for that, and this happens, and it's natural, and your body's supposed to do that when I think the strategy that you just said, if they allow themselves to have bit by bit, would be much more in alignment with having a successful post post show phase so Mm. like it's not something that I do just because I think I'm very robotic with food but I know um, I keep referencing females here just because um, within the female bodybuilding bikini figure you know industry itself we do tend to see these instances more than in the male industry however I think that there's probably that it goes on a lot in the male industry and it's often sort of not shunned, but it's like seen as a big old laugh and it's all right and it's okay. How how, how often or common do you see this in males?
1: I get it quite a lot. Not in terms of clients. I have one male competitor client, but in terms of I get a lot of DMs from males who are on bro coach plans and they message me six weeks out from a show, eight weeks out, and they say, I've just, I keep binging and I don't know what to do. Can you please help me? And these people have got coaches and this is when I think that's a real struggle because you're not grinding harder if you are binge eating six weeks out from a show. Your body composition is going to be worse than had you just put these strategies in place when you started dieting, allowed yourself this flexibility when you started dieting, you would be more shredded. And one thing that I know from my personal experience when I competed is that I made it a mission to always be the most conditioned on stage because I was a natural athlete, because I was eating crumpets, because of all this, like, I was like, I'm going to show that you can do that, and it, it, people just associate really, really rigid plans with more success and more, uh, more condition, and that's that's not how the human body works. If you look at basic physiology, it's just how Instagram works and yeah. that old school mentality, and you get, you know, you get these pro bodybuilders talking about the drugs that they use and their pro, their cycle protocols, but they won't, but they will never talk about. Um, you know, I've actually started incorporating mindful eating and, and there are a couple of coaches now that do talk about that a little bit more, which is great and obviously people like you who actually kind of spread that word because it's just a really outdated mentality.
0: I think, I love what you just said there. There's so many, so many coaches out there that are, that are willing to speak about their cycle but not about how they eat and its I guess it's something as a, as a male bodybuilder, you never often think of that anyone will really give two shits about what you eat because one, they probably know you need to eat a shit ton. Um, and two, I don't know why. It's just something that probably I don't really speak about a whole lot, but I mean, when, when I say I did my vlog, I said that on a Saturday, Sunday, now, now that we have, we're allowed to like go, go places. Uh, I'm like, I'm just kind of eating how I want and body composition is maintaining. And, um, and you know, if you, if you were to say that to me in 2017, um, I would, I would have said no way. And, Everything that you just said about the anxiety, the binging and whatnot, I'd been through it. And I, I still remember after my first show, literally I remember it was like nine at night, I was in my kitchen just like eating bagels with peanut butter and I was like, I don't know what to do. Why the hell am I doing this? Yeah. It did settle down two weeks later, but as an assisted male bodybuilder, the weight I put on was fine when you're six foot three, but it can be so detrimental perhaps to, you know, a five foot female that's maybe gains six seven eight kilos in two weeks mm-hmm. now in, in that scenario let's say someone comes to you and they have put on weight post show and they just feel terrible about themselves where do you start I, I know that i know this is a question you could probably save Vaughn. there's no answer but if there mm-hmm. was a okay this is the first port of call i'm going to look at where would it be and where would, where would you branch off to
1: yeah, there are a couple of different routes and I'm going to go through them, probably not in the order that I'd go through them, but just because they're in my head and I don't want to forget. The One of the things that's really common, especially with females, but again, I work predominantly with females, so that's probably why that's the case, is that with competitors or people who have dieted for a shoot, they have had, you know, three to four months of people saying you are incredible look at your body you know your self-worth becomes your body your identity becomes your body and then as soon as you diet and you lose that condition your self-worth just plummets your identity you lose your identity because you're not as lean person anymore so the the mindset side of that is so important in terms of you need to put the work in obviously beforehand but then after you're show of saying you know my Self is not equated to my body, and my self worth is not equated to my body. And having again values, other values outside of competing or dieting, and having other things to focus on is so so important. But in terms of actually the nutrition side of it, it's very It's very, it's very individual to the person. So for for example, some clients will come to me in that situation, and I will if they're overeating, um, and which is the likely thing if they've gained seven kilos as an example in a couple of weeks they're probably overeating massively one of the best things you can do is remove tracking and it's really terrifying for someone whose dieted or tracked for the last 12 months and you say do you know what this dieting this tracking is not working for you we're going to remove it that's absolutely terrifying for some people, but actually it can be completely transformative. People think that they're gonna gain weight when they stop tracking, and but they've just gained seven kilograms in two weeks because they are tracking and they have this huge guilt associated to the fact that they can't stick to their macros. Um, so removing tracking can be really helpful and, and putting in some sort of food guidelines. So for example, say one of the most important ones is eating every three to four hours and eating to satiety every three to four hours. And people think I don't know how to eat to society, I haven't done that before because I've always been using my, my fitness pal. You don't know until you start to do it, so yeah. having that guideline in place is really really important. Um, and you can have other guidelines in place, such as you know, mind, having a mindful meal, taking your time eating without distractions, having a glass of water with each meal. These types of guidelines, putting in place for yourself, is so important. And I have some competitors who compete and then some of them will go straight, like, you know, they won't even reverse diet at all. They will just immediately go into this kind of more intuitive approach. And they might gain a little bit at the beginning, but then it comes back down again once their hunger started to regulate because you are hungry after you diet.
0: Yeah. And I suppose that's a good point. There'll be a beginner out there listening um, that's thinking, what do you mean till my hunger settles down? So, you know, because you've been there, done it, how hungry are you post-show?
1: Not (laughs) you you, just in general. You are completely, you are the true epitome of insatiable. You you can, like you, like you. So when I did my first show, I had a coach for that one season and I struggled as well. That's why I looked into all of this side of things because I struggled myself and then we spoke about it. And I would do the exact same thing. I think I ate 10 packets of Pop-Tarts once. That's, you know, that's really not great. And after that, I realised it wasn't normal and I, you know, moved through that. Um, So you are completely insatiable. So... What happens when you diet is that you, you reduce your body fat levels, obviously. And if you are very lean, you really reduce your body fat levels. And your body fat's responsible for producing this hormone for leptin. And leptin reduces your hunger. So if you've got a lot of body fat, you have a lot of leptin. And you have quite low hunger levels. If you've been dieting for a long time, you've got low body fat levels. You've got low levels of this hormone leptin. So you're, you're a lot hungrier. And at the same time, you have another hormone that's responsible for that growling in your stomach. Um, that we call ghrelin and that increases when you diet as well so you've got these two hormones that both increase your appetite and they are both at their peak by the time you finish your diet so you are physiologically very hungry so that's the issue with people who then try and reverse diet who don't understand so what, what an actual reverse diet is which you'll know is bringing your calories straight back up to your new maintenance levels and that's that's how you reverse diet but often this old school approach is Let's take it really, really slowly. We're going to increase your calories by fifty a week to get you back to maintenance, oh, and you are starving. Yeah. And then your coach is like, hey, "Let's have another, let's have another fifty calories this week." Yeah. So you're still dieting. You're not at your new maintenance. They're like, "No, let's take it slow to minimise fat gain." That's the worst thing that you can do because you are starving and you're not. You're still dieting even though you don't have a show, a photo shoot, a holiday, whatever it is you've dieted for. You don't have that endpoint anymore. And then what you find is that you go under maintenance under maintenance way over maintenance under under way over and then you fall into that cycle so getting your calories right back up so it it depends on so if i have a client who comes to me like like in that situation they'll either go into a more intuitive approach or they will i'll set them at their maintenance calories to start with and start incorporating more techniques around mindfulness um self-compassion that type of side of things just to support them while they get back to maintenance calories
0: yeah. I, th- I think what you said earlier on the podcast about just actually putting in some guidelines, that's huge. Uh, and it's not something that I suppose I've really ever considered doing. Um, but I could see how helpful that would be, especially with a, a first time competitor because like me personally, every time I prep, it gets easier. The post show or post diet phase gets easier, but I always remember and really can relate to the clients that struggle after that first show or that first diet. Um, and over time, they've perhaps gotten better. At it. I've become better coach at it, but I've never thought to just say, right, eat every three four hours. Let's always incorporate a protein source or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and eat to society because when I think about it, God, I like I'm an empty. It's like I'm an empty tank when it's post show and all you want to do like there's there's five bagels there. You know you can just have one, have one or two, but you're like your hunger signal is telling you that you can manage five and. There's always that part of your brain that's like, you know, you're like, I'll just have one or two. But then there's a second it goes, five's a really good idea. And you go, shit. <laughs> and it, <laughs> I think at first, you know, back three years ago, it was so hard to to switch that voice off. I don't know if that's like, if there's a, a little voice that, that the clients will say that it comes on or is it just an uncontrollable thing. But is that something that you hear a lot of just to say that, what, that whatever it is they know that they're supposed to do it but all of a sudden they've got a pack of digestives and they've finished it
1: absolutely and and one of the really common things that happens when you diet is that and i bet you do this as well i do it as well is that you well i used to do it is that you as your calories get lower and lower you start to hoard your macros for the end of the day because you know you're going to be hungry at night you know you're going to be bored at night so you go on minimal calories when you're busy throughout the day and then it gets night time and you have a quick meal and you have most of your calories at night That's like a really common thing that people would do when they diet when their macros get lower. But then what happens is that you fall into that cycle. So then once you've finished dieting, you're still trying to keep You're like, do you know what? I'm just going to stay minimal because I know that I'm going to be insatiable tonight. So I'm going to keep my macros. But what happens is that you you restrict, restrict, restrict all day. And then you've got that insatiable hunger where you think I could eat five bagels. So even though you've got the calories to play with, you, you eat them and then you eat beyond it. And so you, it's really hard to break out of that. But if you say to, like, you know, when I say to a client, when well, you're going to eat, you're going to eat two and a half thousand calories and you're going to have a 500 calorie breakfast," they're like, "No, I can't do that because I need the calories for night. Because I know that's when I'm going to overeat." And it's like you're overeating because you are so hungry because you've not eaten enough throughout the day. So it's like challenging that diet mentality, which does help you in your diet. Maybe for some people to hoard those calories for later in the day, but it doesn't help people show. So that kind of three to four hour meal is really helpful because it just shifts all your calories up a bit. So by the time it gets to eight o'clock at night, you're less likely to overeat because actually your hunger is a little bit more regulated.
0: Yeah, 100%. Now, I, I know with some clients that might improve their quote unquote dietary adherence when they're actually prepping. But just as you said, it, it sets them up for almost failure post-show, post uh, post-show or post-diet phase, whatever it is. Um, and it, everything that you're saying is really interesting because... Like myself, I, I would say I'm the complete opposite. I, I don't have really any relationship with food. I don't necessarily enjoy it. I always, as a young, uh, like grown up, young kid, teenager, ate for performance. I was a swimmer and I was eating to just feel more performance in the pool, then it was basketball, and then it went to bodybuilding. And now I honestly couldn't tell you what my favorite food is. But these top tips for and that's where when I'm prepping someone, I can at times find it hard to relate to them. I'm getting a bit better, but podcasts like this certainly help me as a coach, help the audience, help the clients get a little bit better. One thing I wanted to touch on, you said it on the podcast, and I, I didn't want to touch because you're, you're going on some, some awesome points, was was talking about going out for, for meals and not feeling ashamed about it or, or getting anxious about it because I still remember, and I've learned from this, But I'm going to give you the example. 2017, I ate chicken and brown rice at my mum and dad's. And then we all went out and they all had burgers and chips. And I sat there with a Coke. (laughs) Right? A Diet Coke. Diet Coke, right? And I became such an an angry, recluse person. I pushed everyone away, became very narcissistic. Um, Whereas now, when I prep this year, last year... Like we last year, we went out six times in eight weeks and still did a photo shoot. But I like I can I can tell you right now, I became a different person. In that scenario, what advice would you give to someone?
1: Yeah, that's it's a tough one because if you're if you're chasing condition which nobody wants to be, but if you're chasing condition for a show, show, shoot whatever it is, or you're behind in some way, then actually going for meals. Potentially, and, and even with my clients, I might say, do you know what? You, I don't want you to go for this meal unless you can plan meticulously before you go. If you are, if you are a month out from a show and you're chasing condition, sorry, but that's not what you can do right now. And and people are often surprised that like I would say that, but realistically, it's, this is if you're if I'm talking competing. Um, if you are just dieting, and it's not that it's not as important, it's just as important to you, you know. Even if you don't have a show, but if you don't, if you're just dieting and you don't have this end point then you shouldn't be skipping you know you might you might not drink on a night out or you might you know choose a healthier option on the menu but you shouldn't be completely you know bringing your own meals for example is is not ideal if you're just dieting for a normal situation and I think taking a more overall approach and saying one of the one marker of health and, and longevity is actually social interaction it's about being social and that is a huge impact on health so if you think that you're being healthier because you're you're skipping a meal out or because you are bringing your own meal like a martyr and you get resentful and angry that's actually not great for your health it's probably worse for your health than going out and saying you know what I'm going to have a chicken burger but I'm not going to have the fries that's a much healthier approach and if you're just dieting for yourself that's what you should be doing and realistically if this is not really how it works which you know in terms of the physiology but You know, if we think of the kind of classic one pound of fat or half a kilo as about three and a half thousand calories, that's how much, you know, you'd have to eat even more than that to gain that amount of weight, realistically, because of the thermic effect of food and all these other things. You don't even, you'd have to eat more than three and a half thousand calories above your maintenance calories to even gain a pound. So you're, you've been in a deficit all week you're not going to push yourself out of a deficit by going out for a burger once a week it, it doesn't that's not how it works yeah. um so it's about people being i think honest with themselves and saying you know am i is taken taking over my life then that's a bit of an issue competing does competing does take over your life yeah. and that's you know that's an extreme end of this and so it's hard to kind of you can't set hard and fast rules because Competitor's rules, so to speak, are going to be quite different from somebody who is just dieting for general life.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think you're absolutely right. When it's when it's show time, that meal's not going to happen. But what I, what I wanted to ask you was: Do you often see that 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 restriction of going out or to social occasions? Do you see that that persists post show, or in fact, would you say you see the opposite? So when someone has decided I'm not going out for the burger, I'm not going out for a drink. Do you see them kind of go right? Because I've seen it every weekend. They've got a meal and a night out. A meal and a night out. Or do you feel? Do you feel you see instances of they become the same reclusive individual? Perhaps you yeah. see both.
1: No. Do you know what? That's, good. That's interesting, and I think that probably reflects different, um, different just mentalities around food. Often, what you'll see, well, what I will see is people maintain those rules post-show and I will encourage them to start going out more and that's that's more so what I get um but because they've got this fear, but what you also get is the people who will eat more in secret post-show and so they'll get takeaways and things but it'll be more it won't be a social occasion they'll still miss their social occasions but they're more likely to get a takeaway or something like that and that's because they feel ashamed of doing it. And that's when there's a bit of an issue there. If someone's just going out and they're like, do you know what? I went out with my mates, had a great time. I don't feel guilty and I'm doing it every week now. And that's where my surplus calories are coming from. But I feel good. That's fine. You know, that's a that's a pretty healthy relationship with food, to be honest. Um, but it's when it's a secretive thing or a shame-based thing or people feel guilty for it, you know, p- after dieting, that's when it's a bit of a red flag. And... Or people who, you know, for example, who get caught off guard. So maybe they get up in the morning, they have their normal breakfast and then their mum says, do you know what, we're going to have family lunch. And they panic because they've not planned in advance for that. Yeah. That's what you see quite a lot of as well mm-hmm. post-show. And that's the issue. It's not going to have that lunch. It's the fear about them going to have it and potentially cancelling it.
0: You're so right. And it reminds me of a client last year who... <laughs> they wanted a meal plan that had all the foods they liked in it um, but and what I say I don't call it a cheap meal I call it an off-plan meal right and they had their off-plan meal on one day and then they were like oh my god my mum's making a Sunday roast and it's the start and it's amazing dessert oh my god what do I do and I was just like chill we're, we're alright <laughs> we're fine have this, this 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 but just what you said straight away flagged up that that memory and again something that I mean, going back to what you said about identity, I don't know if it's Instagram's fault, but within the the bodybuilding realm, I think a lot of people, and and I've been really, really bad for this at times as well, is valuing their self-worth on their body, and that's it. But someone out there listening doesn't really know what a value is. So what I thought would be good for you to do is just give them a brief description of what are values, but then potentially, you know, like, you know, an example of what your values are so that they can relate to that.
1: Absolutely, yeah, so it's something I do with pretty much all my clients, either initially when they start up or, you know, later on down the line or when their goals change is get them to look at what their, their core values are. And values are basically anything that's important. So I would pose the question, you know, what is important to you right now? And anyone who's listening can think to themselves what's important to you right now. And examples would be things like health, family, career, financial, aesthetics, Competing, whatever it is, it can it can be anything. About what's important, and a really good way to kind of identify your the hierarchy of this is to define like you know your five most important values that you think Do you know what, these five are really important to me, and run through the list and say you know is health more important to me than aesthetics right now, or is are aesthetics more important than family to me right now? And work through. So you've got your top five. Know that they'll change. Know that it's totally okay if. if if health is more important to you than family right now it doesn't mean you don't love your family it just means that right now that's the most important thing for you to focus on that's where you want to spend your time and then you've got like your top five so for example mine would be my number one for me right now is relationships and health would be probably number two aesthetics would be number three right now actually because I've got a little bit of an aesthetics goal so but I would as you can see there I wouldn't sacrifice my relationships for my aesthetics which means Someone asked me on a date and I wanted to go on a date, I would go on that date and have dinner, despite the fact that maybe it's not great for my body composition because that's more important to me right now. Same with health. You know, if I if my if I lost my period because I got lean, I would stop dieting because that's more important to me than aesthetics right now. Whereas in competing, that's going to be in a completely different scenario. So if you are entering a diet, you need to be aware of where these are because you need to know almost where your boundaries are and your coach is helpful for your coach to know that too so that they can say do you know what your family's really important to you right now so you're going to have macros for half the day then you're going to have a family dinner at night and you're not going to track you know so that you can still put that into into the plan so to speak so they're all really important and then on the other side of that you know you were talking about your self-worth and being attacked to kind of your, your identity being your body and it's about that side of things is very much I suppose it's more a spiritual kind of psychological side of things, but it's about saying, you know, your identity is, you are yourself, you are the person, you are not your body, you are not your job, you are not your Instagram following, and being able to differentiate that so that if you lost your aesthetics overnight, you're still the same person, you still have the same values, and you still are just as important, so... That that takes a lot of work because obviously in our environment we are very much taught to believe that we are the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the mum, the the competitor, you know whatever it is. But that's not who we are as people. So they're quite different contexts. But I just think you know they're really important for everyone to be able to identify the difference so that when they when they do lose their body because let's be honest, we're all going to lose our body aesthetics at some point. And like I said, I've gained like ten kilos since I competed and I've lost a lot of muscle. And if I was attached to that, then I would feel really crappy about myself like them. So it's about knowing that difference.
0: I think those are some really wise words because there'll be a lot of seasoned competitors in there that they kind of won't know what to do when they don't bodybuild anymore. Maybe perhaps they've built a business based on how they look. And I think that's where someone's values can get sort of whack. But everything that you just said there, it brings me back to the point that the number one thing that I guess bodybuilding or again maybe i shouldn't say bodybuilding but dieting in general can mess up is people's values and if if there was any advice in regards to the, the first thing that someone should sort i guess you said it anyway that's the first thing that you do so if anyone is out there is listening that thinks where, where do i go with any of the questions we've said does it start with just know your values
1: absolutely completely because i think you know if i've tried to compete right now in right? so if you're an actual female competitor you have zero sex drive for about three months of your if you're competing right because you your hormones are out of whack you are angry you're irritable trying to start a relationship say in that state that is not going to happen you can't go out you can't go out for dates all of these things so if you are somebody right now who maybe values that side of life or that's just an example, it could be family, etc. And you think, do you know what I want to compete? You're going to be really miserable in six months' time when you are stage lean and you've spent six months of your life and you haven't achieved anything that you wanted to in terms of what was important to you because you had to prioritize competing and it will be a lot harder to stick to your diet. You know, you're not going to have to stick to your diet if you really, really want to go on dates and drink wine and do these things. Because that's more important to you and that's and I think understand that that's okay it doesn't make you a lesser person for valuing other things you know having these values everyone's values are different and they change all the time um which is why i never said i quit competing because i thought maybe i'll value that at some point i didn't but you know you you have to understand that it's fluid so yeah i think everyone needs to know that side of things and understand what's important to them
0: yeah you, you mentioned about dating and whatnot. i actually had a, a couple. On this podcast a couple weeks a few weeks ago by the time this launches it'll be about a month ago and they started dating when the guy was prepping and i was like and then once he finished she started and i was just like i have no idea how that worked because no it's not only female sex drives goes well, male sex drive as well is absolutely rock bottom but they're still they're probably the only couple i know couple i know that that's happened and, and they're still here today and i take my hat off to them. But if we could touch on um, competing here just before we'll, we'll wrap up here soon, what would you say, you know, apart from the relationship with food, did bodybuilding, competing, teach you anything else? Whether it be positive, whether it be negative, has it made you feel somewhat, you know, empowered over, you know, now have full control over your relationship with food or, or anything else in your life? What, what did, What's bodybuilding taught you?
1: Yeah, good question. I I know a lot of people say bodybuilding teaches discipline and all these things, but realistically, I studied my phd for three years that taught me all the discipline i needed and resilience i needed so it didn't really teach me that but it shaped the way that i do everything now in the sense of i wouldn't be working in this environment had i not gone through the experience and felt it myself and realized that nobody spoke about it so it taught me to be more authentic with people and with myself and to be more honest and transparent and again, that's why I ended up doing what I'm doing. So I'm really grateful for the sport. And I think that it's easy to come out of competing and bodybuilding and say it ruined my relationship with food or, you know, it's it's corrupt or, you know, all of these things, all of these narratives that people have. And I love the sport. I I, I just talk about the pros and the cons of it. And yeah, and I had a great time. But it just, yeah, it just taught me the importance of health, I think.
0: Absolutely. Is there anything that you would say in the past couple of years or most recent years um, that you're starting to dislike about the industry or the, the sport in general? It's
1: easy to... I think it's easy to split the fitness industry. I think I think that's the, the sad fact is that it's easy to split it. I, I love the fitness industry. I, am, I think it's got a lot of downsides. But I do love it. I think that... I think that... <laughs> There's a couple of things i don't like the trend for people to be educating in the fitness industry who are not educators i think that's very detrimental to people's um knowledge and that there just seem to be a trend of that at the moment people think that they're qualified to teach which is an uh, odd one for me but hey i don't like that people can be unqualified and still teach and or give nutrition advice and I don't like I, the the kind of classic, the one thing that I don't like and it's always been there is the focus purely on aesthetic transformations and that's always been there, but I do have a big issue with, you know, I see a lot of people who sell client transformations on their programs. And then I know that that client has then come to me because they need support with their relationship with food. Yeah. And that makes me angry because I don't sell their transformations and, and, and I spend six months with them to try and restore their relationship with food. And I think that that should be a disclaimer. I genuinely do. I think, you know, you should have to put transformation out and say, um, this is the situation for sure. Or, you know, something that protects the client, obviously. But I have a big issue with that because I think that's, that's unrealistic for people. It doesn't highlight, actually, if you look at the stats on dieting, only 20% of people maintain their weight loss. So the fitness industry would never tell you that. So I think that's a big downside. But like I said, I love fit. I do love the fitness insurance.
0: I just think there's a lot of crap in it like everything else. <laughs> <laughs> You're 100% right. No, but um, I think what you said is is so true because maybe not perhaps for the second or third or fourth time competitor, but for the first time competitor, more often than not they are going to have a lot of rapid weight gain or some instances of binging or overeating post showing. I think what I try and do is just just tell people before they go into the diet. Just say, right, look, what you're what embark on here the next eighteen weeks, um, this is what could happen to your perhaps menstrual cycle, your your health, you know, just in general your your mood, your libido, etc., etc., but also coming out the back end of it, this is potentially what could happen. And I think if if clients, as you said, sign disclaimer are fully aware of that then um then it's all good but I would everything that you just said I'm sitting here nodding my head Mm -hmm. and just agreed on but uh, I know you're short for time but what I wanted to I'd like to ask people on all podcasts is just does not need to be related to bodybuilding or the sport or dieting uh, just the biggest lesson that you've learned in life to date doesn't need to be with what's going on in the world today but just anything in general and from that sort of lesson you know what's it taught you good
1: question Um, I think okay uh, this is a really this is probably quite a weird answer but i think this is genuinely one of the most transformative things that i've learned and it's not really it's not really through fitness it's more of a spiritual thing and it's a concept that is and i talk about a lot is that you are not your thoughts and that's like a huge lesson for me in the sense of it's a bit like i said it's very spiritual but it's about saying you can hear the thoughts in your head you are not those thoughts you are the awareness you're the person listening to those thoughts Therefore, you have control of them. So, for example, if your thoughts are like, you look crap, you are fat, go look at yourself in the mirror, all of these things that are going on in your head, you are the awareness that says, I can hear those conversations in my head. I'm going to tell them to be quiet and I'm going to replace those thoughts with something else. And that's transformative for people when they they pick that up. And for me... It was one of the most transformative things I could do because I would always overthink things and always let my mind go run away with me and tell myself stories in my head. Like, he's not calling me back because he's now dating this person, he's done this and he hates me, and it's because I got fat, and it's because of all these things. It's like, none of that is actually true. That's just that conversation in my head. So, you are not your thoughts is like the best. I think it's one of the best lessons ever.
0: I I like that, man. I like what you're all about. That's, That's a good spin on it. I've never. I've never heard anything like that before. So wicked. Now, for anyone listening that would like to hear more of you, um, get in touch with you, could you just give them a wee little bit of info on that?
1: Yes. My Instagram is probably the best place, and that is Emilia Thompson PhD, and my website is emilia.fitness. And also my um, nutrition course is EIQ Nutrition, where we teach basically all of that stuff.
0: Fantastic. Now, just a massive thank you from, from myself, and all the listeners and the clients that specifically asked me to see if I could get get you on an episode for coming on uh, huge absolute huge amount of value that you provided for anyone out there whether they be competing interested in competing um uh, if you're not please if you're listening please go follow Amelia uh you know drop her a message if you like this podcast it was you know it it opened a, a few things from my in my eyes as a coach so I can only imagine what it's going to do for uh, the listeners so just a massive thank you from me
1: thank you for having
0: me on not a problem now if right there listening and um, whatever you do i know that things are crazy on the world but for me and amelia make sure you give it the beans